0: Hey, this is Pastor Spencer with Racine Bible Church. You're listening to a sermon from a Sunday morning. The precious Holy Spirit, the reason, the reason that the church is one and united is only because each one of our individual members is indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. And the reason the church knows anything about anything is because the Holy Spirit inspired the Word of God. And right now, every day, the Holy Spirit illumines the minds of those in whom he indwells to understand and submit to and obey the word of God. And it's for the same truth that we just sang in that song is the same reason why every time we open the word, we ask God, the Holy Spirit, to help us. So let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, and our present light, the Holy Spirit of God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask right now in this moment that in the power of your victory over sin and death, that you would bless this, your word. Lord, make it a word of power and peace, a word of power to convert those who are not yet yours, and a word of peace to conform those who are yours evermore to the image of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior, amen. Lord willing, next week we'll pick back up in the book of Isaiah. But today we're going to do a a single sermon on the subject of marriage and family. And it's going to be from Ephesians chapter 5 that Brennan has read part of it for us. And I'll read the rest of it. But as I read Ephesians 5, I just want you to have one picture in your mind. As I read Ephesians 5 about the mystery of marriage, I want you to have one picture or one sound in your mind. And that is, in the oldest wedding services, the bride and the groom would, of course, walk down the aisle and come up front, and then the minister would do his thing, and they would exchange rings and vows. And in the vows, this is what I want you to remember. In in the oldest vows, this is what would happen. When the woman gave the ring to the man, and the man gave the ring to the husband, this is what each of them would say, with All my worldly goods, IV and Tao, meaning the two become one in every matter of earthly finance and ownership and stewardship. If one member of that couple had debt, that debt now belongs to both of them. If one member had assets and riches, those riches belong to both of them. With all my worldly goods, I thee endow. And I just want you to remember that because when we get to the end of Ephesians 5 and it says the mystery of marriage is Christ and the church, this, beloved church, this is the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ, the Son of God, left the perfections of heaven, he came down to the earth And he walked down the aisle. He walked the Via Dolorosa to the cross. And Jesus let us stand there and say, with all my earthly failure and badness and wickedness and sin, I thee endow. And he took it. And instead of answering back something negative or something ghastly, Jesus said to us, With all my perfect righteousness from heaven, I thee endow. That and nothing less than that is the reality of the gospel. And my intention this morning is to go through Ephesians 5 and very clearly and unapologetically declare that Christian wives must respect and submit to their Christian husbands and that Christian husbands must love sacrificially their Christian wives. And that whole thing falls together, stands together. You can't have one part of it without the other. Ephesians 5, we'll pick up just at the end of of what Brennan read to us. I want to pick it up a little little overlap with what he did. Pick it up in uh, verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see to it that she respects or that she honors her husband. So as we trace through these verses, beginning in verse 22, and I make comments about the Word of God and how it applies to wives, these precious truths from the Word of God apply to everyone in this church, including all of those here who are not wives, women here who are single, who never married, women here who are divorced, women here who are widows, men here in the congregation who don't have wives. These truths are true and good and beautiful. And we need to know what's true and good and beautiful. And if you are here and you're younger or not married but wish to be married, the reason you need to know what's good and true and beautiful is because I I believe that not only the world, but even the church, I believe the upcoming generation in the church has a massive misunderstanding about what's attractive and desirable in a woman and in a man. And the reason this is so is because everything in the world conspires to malform your uh, appetites and affections about what is desirable in a man or a woman. They get it so wrong. And the Bible gets it so beautifully right. And it's my privilege to show this to you. And I want you to want it the way the Holy Spirit wants you to want it. So we look first at what The Holy Spirit of God says to wives in verse 22, "'Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord.'" And we can interpret this with precision. The submission of the wife to the husband is uh, delineated or specified by at least three key concepts right here in the verse. The first concept is, "'To your own husband.'" The second concept is, "'As unto the Lord.'" And the third concept is the ground, and that is for the husband is the head of the wife. So to clearly and yet briefly delineate those three specifics about the wife's submission, the first, to your own husbands. The Bible here is not insisting that every relationship between woman and man is a relationship of submission and headship. But the Bible is here insisting that when the relationship includes an an, an ingredient of a role of leadership, as it does in marriage, then in that relationship specifically, the woman submits to the man. Not every woman to every man, but this wife to this husband. That's God's good design in the role relationship within marriage. The second thing we could specifically pick right out of the text, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That one's super important, right? And I think that specificity, we could interpret it carefully to say that it gives us two safeguards. The first safeguard is, uh, I think that statement as to the Lord is insisting, wife, this is not... This is not based upon your personal feelings or responses to your husband's strengths and weaknesses. We walk by sight, and we can so easily see and feel and be influenced by the strengths and weaknesses of our spouse. That's why in this text, we walk by faith, and the first one whom we see in this command to submit is the Lord, not the flawed Husband. So I take that statement as to the Lord that it, in a sense it's more about the husband's lordly given role than it is the husband's strengths or weaknesses, is the role the person occupies. But a second very important safeguard when it says as unto the Lord is that every wife must know down to her toenails whether they're painted or not. She's gotta know that her first and ultimate allegiance is to no one on this earth, not her kids, not her husband. Her first and ultimate allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And every other allegiance is derivative from that one. Therefore, every other allegiance is accountable to that one. And every other allegiance is delimited by that one. So she's only ever submissive to her husband in ways which are in accord with the revealed will of Christ. She must, in order to honor Christ, she must refuse to participate in sin or to further sin in any way regardless of what her children or her husband do. And then the third specific way that we can interpret this, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord and the important word for, the grounding word, the reason word, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife. Don't make that more complicated than it is. A body has How many heads? (laughs) One. Unless we're in some weird Greek mythology creature, right? Body has one head. And don't make this weirder than it is. When the couple gets married, the minister pronounces from the word of God, the two partners become one flesh. And God wants that one body to function under the leadership of one head. This is no longer two autonomous, that is a will unto themselves individuals. This is one body with one head. that being the role God delivers here to the husband. He comes back around to it in verse 33 when he says, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I think NASB says honor. I think ESV has respect. Either of those words is a good translation of the Greek. It, uh, the literal meaning, it's a, it's a metaphor here in human relationships, but the literal meaning is actually consider as heavy, consider as weighty. Wives, do you consider your husband as, as of weighty importance? My notes say, insert joke about overweight husband here, but I've, I forgot to... I forgot to fill in that part when I downloaded this sermon from online. So anyway, uh, anyway. uh, uh, But it literally means to, to, uh, that is to recognize as significant, to recognize as weighty, your husband's words and your husband's wants. What would be the opposite of that? It would be to treat as light and insignificant and infinitely ignorable everything your husband says and everything your husband wants. Wife, the question here is do you live each day with consideration about your own wants? The answer to that question is yes. But the real question is, wife, do you live each day with a deep consideration of your husband's words And wants. If you don't, then I would say to you from this text of Scripture, that is an ungodly way of living and I would urge you to repent, not tomorrow but like now, because this is good and true and beautiful and the reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ radiates out of this passage. Are your husband's words and wishes important to you or are they ignored by you? It does go back to Ephesians 5.18 when it says be filled with the Spirit and you'll be filled with spiritual songs and thanksgivings. When the Holy Spirit is holding full sway in your life, then it's easy to be thankful, it's easy to be a flexible It goes back even to Ephesians 4, 1, 2, and 3. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. The Holy Spirit, he lets the cat out of the bag there and he says, I realize you're not going to want to care sometimes. You're not going to want to submit sometimes but you bear with the other with this spirit-given humility and gentleness, which is the very presence of the spirit of Jesus in the marriage, specifically embodied in the wife's actions and attitudes. So this is just a tiny bit of specific specific teaching on this issue of submission from verse 22. And if I could uh, summarize What I've taught so far on submission, because this is is confusing sometimes to some people, if I could summarize it, I would summarize it this way. Every passage that deals with the relationship of the wife to the husband in the New Testament tells her to submit to the husband, uses the same Greek word, hupotasso, those passages being Ephesians 5.22, Colossians 3.18, 1 Peter 3.1, and Titus 2.4. Therefore, I would say, and if I could just blink and look you in the eye, I would say one human being to another, I'm not trying to poke you, I'm not trying to tick you off, but I would say to you very clearly, if you don't like this concept of the wife submitting to the husband, you do not like what the Holy Spirit says clearly and repeatedly to you in his New Testament that was written for your good. This is good and true and beautiful. And if you don't like it and you set yourself against it, I'm just telling you, You can set yourself against what's good and true and beautiful, but to set yourself against what is true is to align yourself with worldly and diabolical lies. And to set yourself against what is good is to set yourself on the side of what is wicked. And to set yourself against what is beautiful is to set yourself up with that which is malformed and twisted and won't find its God-given end in telos and fullness in beauty. Don't do that. I urge you not to do that. If we could expand from the book of Ephesians, I have a couple of Proverbs I want to share with you. So here's the deal. The last two times that I preached a message out of Ephesians 5, I spent about 85% 85% of the time on the role of the man. And I spent about 15% of the time on the role of the woman. And this morning, I want to at least get closer to 50-50. If not, go 70 on the side of the woman and 30 on the side of the man. And if, if that bothers you or you have a complaint about that, Darren Bowers receives all the complaints. His cell number is 262. Uh, he, he loves that. That's a, that's a big part of his ministry, and we just let him do that for us. So call, text, any time, day or night. But I have a, uh, a couple of Proverbs to fill in and color in what this is saying to the wives who are good and true and beautiful. Uh, Proverbs, look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. If, if I've, I've just got two more things to say to the wives, the first thing to say is this, wife, mom, woman, consider your power. You have like superpowers. Wife, mom, woman, consider your power. And the first place to show you that is in Proverbs 12, verse four. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. This proverb is speaking of the powerfully, conse- the, the powerfully consequential presence of the wife, of the mom. She is so powerful that she is either a crown or she is like rotten cancer inside the bone marrow. That's how powerful she is. She's one or the other If she's a crown, what does that mean? It means that in private, she supports her husband. In public, she enhances her husband's character and standing and conduct. The biblical picture of a supportive and submissive wife is not one of oppression and weakness. It is a picture of a profoundly strong woman who uses that strength willfully and faithfully and lovingly to follow God's best and to support her husband and her family. She crowns him. The antithetical in the Hebraic parallelism is if she's not that, then she who brings shame to him is like rottenness in his bones. Internal, internal suffering, like the worst internal suffering seems to be saying would be caused by that relationship. She is powerful for good or for evil. A similar proverb, sometimes we laugh at this one, Proverbs 27 verse 15. Proverbs 27, 15, a continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. We can make stupid jokes about that, but it is no laughing matter. The image the image is of a continual rain and the roof has a leak in it. The, the ancient Near Eastern home that's being spoken of here I've had the privilege of uh, traveling to Kenya a couple times. It's like the homes that we visited people with in Kenya. It's all made out of earth. It's all made out of earth. And when the roof leaks and those walls which are made of earth, the, the water starts to fall down those walls, the entire house collapses. Woman, mom, wife. Bible says, that's your power. That's your power. Wow. Uh, one of the commentaries I have on the Proverbs is written by William No in the 1700s, and he puts this aptly. His comment on that verse is, the woman is the very element of the home wherein all its relations and affections live and move. And if that element is tainted Corruption spreads over all its breath, breadth and it sinks at its very core. Know your power in relationship. Know the power of your words, the power of your actions, the power of your attitudes. And this is why Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, thankfulness, kindness, singing songs of thanksgiving to God. This is the sweetness of being filled with the Spirit. And I don't know any other way of saying it or personally except to say sassiness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Neither is meanness. Neither is a sort of, I'm unhappy And nobody around here has the right to be happy until you make me happy. That is the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. Yet we have to admit that's our attitude sometimes. And if that's your attitude, I urge you to to extricate yourself from that ungodliness and repent today. If I just want to say two, two more things to the wife before we beat on the man... The first is know the power. Know your power. Come to grips with your power. And the second would be consider your prayers. Consider your prayers. Get serious about your prayer life. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 1. Proverbs 14, verse 1. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. The wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. I just want to submit to you that the wisest of women builds up her house with prayer. The Proverbs are, are always speaking about the power of the tongue. And the wife has great power with her tongue in the household. But how much more would her power be if she would use that power of her tongue to pray, to build up her own godliness by praying for her own walk with God? to build up her kids, her husband, her grandkids in this way. Women I want to challenge you to work on your prayer life for yourself more than anything else. Work on your prayer life for yourself. It is good for you to pray for your husband, It is good for you to pray for your kids, but work on your prayer life for yourself most of all. It is good for you to talk to your kids, and it's good for you to talk to your husband, but it is better for you to talk to God, about your kids and to God about your husband even more than you talk to them about them. In my years as a pastor, I have come up with a formula. And the formula is kind of like this. When I'm dealing with a a household that's in conflict, whichever member of that household I'm talking to, the formula is this. If If you would talk to God about yourself more than you talk to God about the other person with whom you're in conflict. If you would talk to God about yourself more than you talk to God about them, and then you would only talk to them in a way that reflects your relationship with God and what God's revealing to you in his word, it'll go so much better. But we don't do that. We have to admit we don't do that and we need to repent because we say what we feel. And the reason we say what we say is because we feel what we feel, and our feelings are sometimes right or wrong, but they're always just a reaction to what's going on around us. This is why the leading feature in Ephesians 5 is be filled with the Spirit, which is the opposite of being filled with your emotional responses to what is happening around you. Those are two completely different ways to live. Mom, consider the powers of your prayer. If I could just make a shout out to my favorite, probably my favorite mom, no disrespect to Mary in Scripture, is Hannah. So Samuel is Hannah's kid. And Samuel, you ever hear this verse? Uh, The Lord sees, not as man sees. The Lord looks on the outside. Uh, The the man looks on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. This is what Samuel says. How did Samuel, that's that's like one of the most godly things in the scripture. And Samuel, the man, like figured that out. How did he get that? Well, it's because Samuel is known as a man of prayer. But then you step back from that. How did Samuel become a man of prayer? Hannah prayed for Samuel before he was ever born, before she ever had him. She prayed so fervently and so faithfully for Samuel and Samuel grew up to be a man of prayer, of of such godly prayer that he could actually understand how God looks at things, not just how human beings look at things. And so mothers, grandmothers, great-grandmothers, I'm telling you, pray, pray. I hope you prayed for them before they were born. And I hope you prayed for them while they were little. And I hope you pray for them after they leave your house. We did a lot of things wrong, but I could tell you we did that. We did that. And we still do. And in our little family, uh, a handful of those prayers have been answered with greater answers than we could have ever hoped for. And in our little family, A couple of handfuls of those prayers, they've been answered with God saying, not yet. But we will continue to pray. Those kids were never ours. They've always been his. And he is good. He's good. And everything that he says is good and true and beautiful. And our sweetest times of prayer are when we take what he has said and we lift it back up to him. Consider your power. Consider your prayers. If you turn back to Ephesians 5, hopefully there's enough time on the clock to get in a few body blows to the men. <laughs> he, Ephesians 5:25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. What are the commands to the husband? The commands to the husband are, love her, and then that love is specified. Just as the submissiveness was specified, the love is specified. Love her as Christ loves the church. Love her sacrificially. And then it says, love her, verse 26, with the word of God, by the washing of the word. And then it says also in verse 26 and 27, love her by pursuing her purity. Love her with the tenderness of godly headship. Love her with the, with the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. Many people have noticed, and it is a significant thing to notice, that the description of the husband's headship is given in the section revealed to the woman. The section to the man doesn't say, hey buddy, you are the head, get in there and be the boss. <laughs> The description of the husband's headship is revealed to the wife. This is a headship that is defined in 25 following as a headship of love, a headship of sacrifice, a headship of nurturing her toward purity. The one thing that the husband is commanded to do is love. Six times in seven verses, we have this word love. Which makes us ask the question which we need to ask because sometimes we use words and we're not mean the same thing by the words we're using. What is love? What is love? And can true love be commanded? Is love what happens when a naked baby angel shoots you with a heart-shaped arrow? What is love? And can true love be commanded? When... Um, Many years ago now, when Vodi Bakum was here preaching from this pulpit, he gave us a definition of love that that I wrote down and I've shared it all, all since. He said, Love is an act of the will that is a choice. Love is an act of the will that is a choice, accompanied by emotion, not led or determined by, accompanied by emotion that leads to action on behalf of the object. Love is an act of the will choice. Accompanied by emotion, not led or determined by emotion, that leads to action on behalf of the object. Love in the Christian sense is not an emotion. Love in the Christian definition is not a state of feeling, but a state of commitment, a state of will. It's the state of will which you naturally have toward your own body and which you supernaturally have to learn to have toward someone else. That's why, what is it, verse 29? He says no one ever hated his own body. When, when uh, you have something in your eye, you don't, you don't write a PhD dissertation about it. You just blink it out of your eye. Of course you take care of your own body. Everybody takes care of their own body. This is the natural commitment that you have to your own body, but you have to supernaturally learn to have that toward another, toward another. That's why the analogy of the body is so good here. So the husband loves... The husband leads, and if we could qualify and specify the leadership that the husband has in the home, the best way for a husband or a father to lead is as Christ led the church and Christ, when he came to save the church, how often did Christ say, I have come to do the will of my father? Catch that. I have come to do the will of my Father. So Jesus Christ, who is our model of headship, all throughout his ministry modeled how to function under the headship of another. So the husband, who is the head, who is the authority, is always aware that his authority is grounded on the word of God and that he himself is entirely submissive to Jesus Christ and to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit through the word of God. So the husband who leads well regularly shows that the reason I'm doing this is because God has commanded me that I have to do this, which means it ought to be it ought, it ought not be infrequent for a Christian husband, for a Christian dad to say, we've got to do this because the Bible tells us so. The objection to that is that if a guy is always saying, God says we have to do this, the Bible says we have to do this, that can, that can be condescending or crushing, and that can also be manipulative and hypocritical. That's true. That's true. And the fact that that can be condescending or crushing and the fact that it can be manipulative or hypocritical means this, men, you are accountable that every ounce of blood, sweat, and tears that you have ensures that in your home that is never condescending or crushing or hypocritical. That means that every member of your home, if asked, well, how does your dad lead? their their unfeigned answer would be he leads like Jesus. He always takes the heavy end of the weight. He always takes the responsibility. He always takes the smallest slice for himself and he leaves the biggest good for us because that's what Jesus does. Jesus let you say, hey Jesus, All my earthly wickedness, all my debts, they're on you. And Jesus says, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm your head. Make sure that your leadership of your family isn't hypocritical and isn't uh, crushing and condescending. It means every member of your family ought to know For every time dad quotes the Bible at us, I'm pretty sure he spent 10 times that amount of time meditating on it for himself. Same thing I said about prayer. Spend more time with what the Word of God says to you about what you ought to be doing. Husband, the analogy of the head means that you go through first and you take the responsibility. That means, husband, take the lead in reconciliation. Don't let silence, don't let the silent treatment continue in your house. And take the lead in reconciliation. And if you, can't, if you can't get the two of you to reconcile, then the husband takes the responsibility to get some help. Call an elder of the church. Call a godly couple to say, will you mentor us? Uh, the, the way it happens in real life is that often the husband, the Christian husband, gets dragged into some kind of counseling or some kind of help. And that in itself is manifestation of ungodly hypocrisy on the husband's part. You ought to take the lead in getting the help that you need. And you ought to include, you ought to inevitably and unavoidably include your wife in all those discussions. How can I help you? How can I lead this home? What hurts can I take away? What anxieties can I relieve? What tensions can I take on so they no longer bother you? The issue always goes back to the gospel. That's why Ephesians 5 says the mystery of marriage is the mystery of Christ and the church. I am of the interpretive opinion that that's why Ephesians 6 is about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is not some weird thing for Christian comic books. God says, the earthly picture of Jesus in the church is the marriage. Why do you think marriage is what is ravaged the worst in our culture and by our satanic enemy? That's why. This is why the, the uh, men, your enemy is not your wife. Men, your enemy is Satan, Diabolos, the accuser. And Satan has a specific interest in drawing you men toward marriage-destroying behaviors like internet pornography, like uh, cold apathy toward God and toward your family. Satan is, Satan is invested in pulling you toward those things. And I see Christian men like roll over like a kitty cat in the sunshine and let Satan scratch their belly. Put on your armor and go at your enemy like a pit bull. Don't let him wreck what you ought to be and what your home ought to show. Satan hates it when a husband is a visible display of Christ and the church. And so Satan conspires against the men. And man, your own flesh joins with Satan like that kitty cat rolling over to get him to scratch your belly because it feels good. Yeah, the Bible never says the path to hell feels good. The Bible says the path to hell ends in hell. So get off it and repent. Better your right eye get flung out of your face, better your right hand get chopped off than you continue in such behaviors that will send you and God forbid send your children to hell. Repent. Not tomorrow, now. Repent. Man, I don't know what you're thinking, but I know what you might be thinking because I'm one of you. Women, I don't know what you're thinking and I don't have a clue what you're thinking because I ain't one of you. <laughs> but I kind of know what you might be thinking because I've been a pastor long enough and a dad and a grandpa. Um, and I think men can be thinking, what if, what, if my life, what if my wife is like unlovable? Like she's giving up on me and she's just invested full time in bitterness. And the wife can say, well, what if my husband isn't really acting like Jesus? What if he's lazy and mean? If I, if I respect and honor him, then he's never going to change the things in his life that he needs to change. Well, this scripture is not God placing you in an impossible situation. This scripture is God showing you the way that your your words and actions and attitudes and responses would manifest the presence of God in your home. So it has less to do with the other than it has to do, Ephesians 5.18, with you yourself being filled with the Spirit. It has more to do with you yourself, Ephesians 5 verse 1, being an imitator of God. Whatever the other spouse is doing, you yourself can, verse 1, be an imitator of God. Be sure that you are loved by God even if the love from your spouse isn't coming out at the rate you'd want it to flow at. You can be sure you are loved by God and you can walk in love as Christ has loved you and gave himself up for you. In Jesus Christ, you've been loved with an everlasting love. This brings it all back to what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And if I could tell you one more doctrinal truth that instead of being a a doctrinal definition in a study Bible, ought to be like what keeps you going day and night, the last doctrinal truth I would tell you is what it means to be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. Nothing to do with speaking in tongues, miracles, whatever, healings. That's not what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Also, at the risk of offending those who grew up on Sunday school like I did, being filled with the Spirit does not mean having a quiet time every day. What? (laughs) This is what Jesus said about being filled with the Spirit. Jesus pulled all his guys together and he said, I'm going to die and I'm gonna rise again. And that is gonna make you new. But the only way for what I have done in dying and rising again to like get inside of you The only way for that to happen, Jesus says, is if I ascend to my Father and together with my Father, we send out the Holy Spirit because when the Holy Spirit arrives, the one thing he's gonna do is take the reality of everything I did on the cross and everything that empty tomb means and he is going to make that radiantly alive inside of you. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. That's everything that it means to be filled with the Spirit. And if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are one who walked down that aisle and said, all my wickedness, take it. This belongs to you. You have this. You have this. So walk in it. Watch what it does in your family. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, take the word which you so perfectly inspired and now make it a word of power and a word of peace unto our hearts. By your power, convert those who are not yet thine and by your power, bring the peace that comes on the other side of repentance to all of us who need to repent. Have your way with us, Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Amen. To find out more about our ministry, contact us at racinebible.org. Thank you for listening.